Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Working as collaborators for the first time, award-winning directors Pedro Caz and John Shank bring us into the multifaceted homelessness crisis in the documentary Lead Me Home. In this world, tents become bedrooms, trucks become washrooms, parks become kitchens, love occurs, as does strife and violence. People make homes for themselves wherever they end up. Joining us are the co-directors of this documentary short, Pedro Caz, who you'll know from his work as the director of Rebel Hearts, as well as John Shank, who's previous work includes The Island President. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate being here. One of the things that I really appreciate about the film is we get an intimate, immersive look into homelessness and, and the people. But I thought you did something that I thought was very interesting in that we don't identify them by name for a while in the film. There's only one or two people that we actually hear their names. So what I thought it, you did effectively in this film was to give us the issue and the humanity uh, behind the, the, it. And I think it allows us to have a clear understanding of, of the issue by doing what you did. I'll, sh- I'll start with you, John. Was Am I on the right track here in describing the film? <laughs> yeah, you know, um... Absolutely. We appreciate your kind words and um, you're absolutely on the right track. Pedro and I, in making this film, our mantra was there are no rules. The only rule is we listen to our heart that emotion is much more important than information. The reason that we we had that kind of rule for ourselves is that we really felt like the humanity of this quote unquote issue has really gotten lost. You know, the, the way homelessness is talked about, it's either talked about as a problem for people who are housed and have home or are fortunate enough to have homes, or it's kind of talked about as um, the fault of the homeless people experiencing homelessness themselves. And so what we wanted to do is create a film that really focused on the scale and the scope of this by showing visually that, but also more importantly, the the human beings that are actually out there experiencing this issue. And so we wanted to kind of get a direct pipeline to people's hearts, no matter what it took. And for us, that meant eschewing information and, and not being so wrapped up in where we were or even the, the background of, of how somebody got there, but just kind of experiencing the, the day-to-day lives of what, what they're going through. Yeah. Well, Pedro, to that point, we do get a feel and a understanding of these individuals as they are experiencing this state of homelessness. But again, yeah, again, it's just, I would say a half a step back from what we're used to, because you can get caught up in some particular story and you can, and somehow in your mind, you can push it off as, well, they're, they're addicted to drugs. They brought this on themselves, whatever it might be. And that is just so insightful in the way that you went about telling this, these, these people's stories. Well, thank you, Mike. I, you know, I think one of the things that we wanted to do is really go back to basics. Yeah. What unites us as hum- human beings, as brothers and sisters, as neighbors? And I think that was kind of really kind of a driving force. Like, in, in a way, what you see on screen is really what 
as John said, like touched our hearts. And we, we would actually, you know, John and I would be excited and thrilled to go out on the field and to go out and film and film with, um, with Lewis and film with Roro and Zia and all the people that we were lucky enough to meet and who were generous enough to let us into their lives kind of really show the day to day. Like we all wake up, right? We all brush our teeth, have our coffee, we do laundry, we fall in love as, as all, all the things that you said in the, the beautiful intro. The one thing is that unfortunately for our unhoused neighbors, they, um, a lot of it is spread out and they are facing a, a monster of a bureaucracy. So what does look life, like our cities and life look like from that marginalized perspective? And also one thing that was really important as well was as I love that you said, like, you know, it's a little bit of a step back because one of the things that we found, you know, as John and I went into set about to make the film was not only the, 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 the scale of it, but also the diversity, right? It's not one monolithic thing. In, in like people, like we hear people talking about like, oh, it's addiction, it's mental health. Well, there is that, but there's a whole rainbow slew of other, of other issues that we all face, you know? I, I love that, you know, the line from Eric, outreach worker here in LA, and he says, uh, to to Patty, I'm one paycheck away from being the tent right next to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is it, like, because it's not, as you said, it, it it's easy to, if you hear one story, too many details, it's easy to push away. But no, this is us. This is all of us, right? So we wanted to give a mirror and we wanted to show that diversity and on a, on a very human level and kind of try to connect with that. Well, let's take a step back and sort of describe in the more broad terms, you focus on Seattle, San Francisco, and Los Angeles in the film over a course of about three years or so of filming. And you identify in the statistic, one of the very few statistics in the film is that the estimate is about a half a million Americans go uh, to bed homeless in this country. I think that's vastly undercounting to my, honestly, I'm just my anecdotally, I sort of have a feeling it's a lot more than that, but nonetheless, that's too many. John, in terms of the different cities, Seattle, San Francisco, and Los Angeles, what did they have in common? And if you want to dive into what they sort of was unique to their particular situation, but what is the commonality that you found in those three city, major American cities? Yeah, you know, one reason we don't spend a whole lot of time obsessing about, um, you know, placing the viewer in a particular city. And in, in the film, you kind of have the sense that there's one big city, you know, up and down the West Coast. And uh, we had we had a um, discussions throughout filming that it, we were almost kind of making a science fiction film about the future, but the future is actually here now, this kind of dystopian Blade Runnery world that we live in, in these cities. You know, what we found is that what, what Seattle, San Francisco and Los Angeles and many other cities, by the way, not just on the West Coast, but throughout our country have in common is that there's not enough affordable housing and um, wages haven't kept pace with housing costs. And so, you know, one thing Pedro and I did really early on in this film is we did kind of nerd out about this issue. We went deep. We talked to we have amazing help who, uh, from experts in the field who have been journalists and, and social workers and people who had, had been studying this much more than we had in our lives. 
And we learned a, a couple of key things. One is that this is a systemic problem. You know, as rents rise in LA County, for example, you can actually with precision predict how many more homeless people you will have as the square foot price per square foot goes up in a rental market in LA. So that just tells you right there, it's no fault of the people who are living in those apartments that get that get kicked out because of higher rents. It's a it's a problem that we don't have enough housing, affordable housing, and we don't have enough good wages for people. So we found that very common across across the board. People would tell us in Seattle, San Francisco, LA, uh, no matter where they live in those cities, they just could not afford a home. And that's what they wanted. 99 times out of 100, you ask somebody experiencing homelessness what they want, they say, I like a home. They like an apartment, a place to live. I think we have a, we have a, um, a great comment by one of the participants who says it really plainly like that in the film. We, we, uh, the other thing, just, I don't want to go on too long, but the other thing we found is Pedro and I were reminded of how much we love and appreciate cities. You know, we have these wonderful cities in this country that, that have been built over the hundreds of years and that are just, you know, full of culture and architecture and com common spaces and restaurants and, you know, all the things that we love about cities, not to mention beautiful homes. It's almost like we're the frog in the in the slowly boiling pot of hot water. Like, you know, um, somebody said that these the tent encampments have become almost like a car carcinogenic um, cancer, uh, you know, spreading throughout our cities. And nobody wants to live like that. No, the people who live in these tent encampments don't want to live in that. The people who live in homes don't want to see people suffering right in front of them. That's really what we hoped the film would do is kind of just I don't know, be a little bit of a jolt into a reminder, like, oh my God, these 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 people are human. They're they're just like me. Pedro, I want to ask you a specific question about the situation of the price of of renting and buying any kind of shelter in a major American city. But before I do, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with John Shank and Pedro Cause, and they are the co-directors of the shortlisted short documentary film <laughs> called uh, Lead Me Home. Congratulations on that. Pedro, John alluded to it in your research. Is there a particular economic, political kind of something that's driving up the cost? Is I mean, is it a matter of shortage? Is it a matter of, I've, I'm invested in the idea that there's been a systematic kind of buying up of real estate in major American cities with the idea of driving up the cost. This is sort of where I believe in real estate business is the probably the most unregulated industry, major American industry that essentially has driven a couple of different near collapses of, this, of the economic system. And yet they're completely unregulated. I don't know if that's part of the equation. I'm sort of editorializing a lot here, but it, it feels like there's something in our system of, of the way we value real estate and the way we allow people to speculate that might be driving some of this. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not a, I'm, I'm, I, I will say this, I'm not a, a real estate expert, but one of the things that, you know, we, we do see, and it's, it's happening, um, you know, the speculation, the real estate speculation and these enormous luxury condo towers, the, the, the visual juxtaposition, it was, is increasingly really striking. And I have to say this, not only just in the West Coast cities, I think all over the United States, you see these very fancy condos that are being built 
And you can't help but notice that a good percentage of those units in those buildings look empty and they look uninhabited. Meanwhile, right next door uh, in the block, you, there are tanning cabinets because at, at the, the foundation, the core foundation, people can't afford housing because the rents in those really nice fancy buildings are exorbitant. Now, one of the things that I, but that leads to, to something that the, you know, the, in our research and just making the journey of making the film, we, we met, which is housing first, which is, you know, a lot of people say, well, in order to get housing, you know, you need to sort out your life and have like work on your mental health or work on your addiction issues or work on this issues. Well, actually, it's the opposite. Imagine if, if you're going through a vulnerable moment, if you're going through a rough patch and you're having to deal with that while living out in the streets, it's going to be a lot harder to get things back on track than, than if you were in a home. And I think that's a, what we need to think about is the housing first. Being in a home is so much more likely you're going to be able to get back on track, get centered, and... Um, if you're dealing with problems, we we encounter the number of families with, that are dealing with medical bankruptcies, issues of domestic violence that that were f- literally that forced them out into the streets. That's something we encounter, which then uh, again points to a broken system. A bro- we have to you you point to the uh, real estate as a neg- deeply unregulated um, industry. I don't know what the solution is. But from us being in the streets and, and filming with, with our neighbors, we know we have a, something that's broken and we need to ask questions from a, from a really human perspective. I apologize for going on about that, but it is something that keeps coming up. There was a documentary that came out last year about real estate in major cities around the world. And this, is, this was part of our discussion in that regard. But is housing a human right? John, is, is housing a human right? I think so. I mean, I, I think that that's certainly one way of looking at it. And um, I, I think that there's so many issues that we face as Americans. I just can speak personally. There's kind of when, when you have stuff, you know, when you have enough income to afford to be comfortable and kind of insulate yourself from, from some of the problems of the world, whether it's homelessness or climate change or, you know, healthcare issue, health medical issues. I think we're kind of in a, in a we're, at least for myself, we're sort of in a constant um, anxiety state, you know, like we're, where we fear becoming the other, um, having the problems of the other. And what we tried to do in the film is simply remind ourselves and the audience that we're all the same. And, that, and there's so much value in that reminder. Actually, one surprising thing that's happened to us is that many people who watch the film don't feel like it's a, a downer or a depressing film. They're actually, the common response is that it's, it's inspiring because I think the film gives you permission to meet Lewis and uh, Tiffany and Roro, as, as Pedro was talking about, and Gigi, who lost her home because she came out as transgen- transgender. There's so many different ways that this can happen to people. And the film is a reminder that these are people out there that have rich, beautiful stories to tell almost kind of like an untapped resource. Our, 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 our society is, is, is sort of, I don't know, feared these people and written them off in a way. 
we sort of forced ourselves to actually turn and and look at them in the eye and and, and speak to them just as human beings. And and they were generous enough to to speak back. And it was a beautiful thing. I mean, it, it sounds a little cheesy, but it actually was really. We looked forward to doing this work. We felt privileged to to do it. We're 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 so happy to have had this experience because it was a reminder, I think, for Pedro and me of the humanity of the situation. And that's yeah. what comes across in the film. Go ahead, Pedro. I was going to say, we exactly. I mean, we've built so many walls, I think, all of us. And it was really a privilege. And, and we're so fortunate to have those walls really crumble before our very eyes and, uh, and be able to connect. And I think it, that's what we set out to do also. I think. And you succeed beautifully. And the other thing that I really appreciate about the film is the sort of the technical side of it. Increasingly, I'm seeing documentaries that are more sophisticated in the in in the technical side of the telling the stories and this one is in that category where you're very creative in in just sort of in the presentation of the stories and sound music there's a lot of things that kind of pull you into the film and I am I'm so heartened to see this I'm seeing it more and more and it's sort of a, a narrative sensibility that carries over into the telling of these documentary stories and it doesn't sacrifice the stories themselves. It just makes it something that is even more compelling. And uh, this certainly does that. I did a wonderful job just on sort of the editing, and but also in the sound. This is something I've seen a lot more of in film lately, is documentary film, and that is sound design seems to be increasingly a more important part of the telling of the story. Um, either one of you, is that, is that something that you're also seeing? You, you see, I see it in your film, <laughs> but uh, is that something that's more important to you as filmmakers? Well, thank you. I mean, that, 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 that is high praise. And uh, it, it was important. It was important to us. It was important to, to create an immersive experience and, and take us on a journey as well. And I think to create something that's beautiful, that is, that is inviting and that, you know, envelops a viewer was, was, uh, was very important. And sound design is key to that. Part of the, the process was, you know, going out and filming and really listening. Now, you know, we live in, 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 in our homes, but, you know, imagine if your home is outside, the soundscape is going to sound very different. So we, we started, you know, filming and, and recording audio out when we were uh, filming and, we actually, one of the things we did, a lot of that audio, we sent over to our composer, um, Gil Tommy, our amazing composer. Every single music cue in the film, the foundation of that cue is a sound from, from the street. For example, the BART sounds in, in, in the Bay Area, you see a, 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 an encampment that's right by a BART station there, and that's the, the percussive track of that cue is the BART, or trash can wheels on rolling through the concrete that Lewis and Roro are, that's another element in another cue. The, the sirens in, is an element in another cue. Anyway, the list goes on. But in a way to create that sort of out of the soundscape, and by the way, our extraordinary sound designer and mixer, Pete Horner, was just a poet himself. You know, he really understood the intricacies of creating something that's enveloping, but also putting you in a certain place. And I think the key for all of that is just listening and being really present. John, anything you want to add to that? Well, um, you know, it's just been such a pleasure to work with Pedro. We actually met during the making of The Island President. Pedro was, was our editor. Ever since then, Pedro and I have had kind of a bond about film films and filmmaking. 
And this was a bit of a dream come true for, for me uh, to work with Pedro kind of in the trenches. And we have a, a similar sensibility, which is that we endeavor at least to create an experience uh, of visuals and sound and really bring people in. As you were talking, I, I, there's a quote, and I don't remember the exact words, but many years ago when mini DV cameras first started coming out, I think in the early 90s, Francis Ford Coppola was interviewed about the future of filmmaking. And he said, well, the boundaries are now broken. The technology is starting, it will allow the next Francis Ford Coppola's and Martin Scorsese's to be anybody in the world. And it's taken a little longer, I think, maybe than Francis originally anticipated. But one piece of great news in the last couple of decades is that the cameras and sound recording and editing equipment has gotten so good and so affordable that regular people like Pedro and me can now <laughs> take advantage of this stuff. Drone photography, cameras that can shoot basically with no light. Yeah, take your iPhone. It's um, it's really remarkable. And then, of course, we were really lucky to work with with Gil Talmy and Pete Horner and others to create uh, what we really think of as uh, um, what we tried to make sort of like a Koyana Scotsy Baraka type experience. That was that was our bar that we were reaching for. I'm sure we didn't reach it, but that's what we were. That's what we were kind of hoping to create with this film, Lead Me Home. And that's what keys me into what what I asked. Why I asked you that question is that sense, that immersive sense, not only visually but in in the auditory world as well. And, and, and can I can I interject? Say one quick thing. Sure. And also, there is the audio, but the visuals are extraordinary and and that is because the man right below me john shank because he is an extraordinary poet with in all senses of the word and you know with a camera with in writing and and and, and john um i have never seen footage from meetings to in the field to sweeps to aerials the most extraordinary sense of how the visuals can communicate a story without um, without words. And I think John is just such a master. And it was like, I was a kid in a candy store working with him. And I just, there's one scene that I wanna point out that in the car, when Eric is driving Patty to, to the shelter, John was in the car by himself and simultaneously filming Patty, who was right next to him in the back seat, and Eric in the driver's seat. And he he had he was filming with an iPhone, right, John? Yeah. Uh, Eric and with the camera, Patty, at the same time in a moving car. And it's one of the most profound and beautiful scenes um, that I've that I've ever, you know, worked on. So um, well, yeah. I, I I agree. <laughs> well, back, back at you, Pedro. It's been it's a it's, you know, Pedro is a master editor and yeah. storyteller, and he's really, uh, we think of him as kind of uh, just a big heart on a stick because, <laughs> you know, he, he, he brings so much humanity and wisdom and beauty to everything. And it, this has really been, like I said it before, I'll say it again, it's a dream come true um, for me to have an experience like this, especially working in our homes, you know, in our home cities of Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle. It's just, um, usually we fly far and wide to, to tell stories. And this was a chance to take stock of, of the, the places that we were in. So in so many ways, it was just a, an amazing experience. Well, thank you both. I, I feel like I could launch into a whole thing, dissertation on going back to Tarnation as sort of the first film that I'm aware of 
where, where Francis Ford Coppola's words began to come true um, as a documentary filmmaker. And, and what I'm seeing, again, uh, one of the other films that was shortlisted, I'll just say this because the, the, uh, the audio, the sound design in, in Audible, which is a, a film that's been nominated, is also, again, this is what, what sort of, again, triggered me to be more aware of it, is that just the, 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 um, the technical side of documentary filmmakers is just evolving and growing right in front of my eyes. And um, I just so appreciate what's happening. And I, I just think it, it makes the, story, the ability to tell a story that much richer for and as an audience for us. So congratulations to both of you on your work here. Thank you so much. What a great conversation. Thank you so much, Mike, Thank for having you. us on. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you again. The film is called Lead Me Home. And we've been joined by the co-directors, John Shank and Pedro Caz. And as I said, Oscar shortlisted for best documentary short. It's available on Netflix. You can go to leadmehomefilm.com to find out more, not only about the film, but how you can learn more about homelessness and the issues surrounding it and how you can help. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.